You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Well, good morning. I, uh, I get to uh, get share a message with you this morning uh, that is going to be partly familiar and a little unfamiliar in parts. And uh, this Memorial Weekend, you know, it is a, a time for many of us uh, to remember people that we have lost, particularly those in service. And for some of us, you know, it's a, a time where we remember people who were heroes to us, not just heroes uh, in this country, in service, but in our lives personally. And, uh, you know, I wanted to take a moment just to just recognize that this morning, as, as Derek was sharing of the tragedy this week in Uvalde, of the just absolute grief, you know, that they are going through, and, and in moments like this weekend when we remember people that we have lost, that, uh, that God comforts those who are in grief. In fact, the Bible even says that you are blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And it's one of those amazing things about knowing God and being in a relationship with Him in our hardest times, we, we get to experience something a little bit more of God, <laughs> a little bit more intimate of God when, when we suffer grief. So as you remember your fallen heroes, as you remember people that you have lost this weekend and pray for this nation, I pray for you that you would experience God's comfort this weekend as, uh, as you uh, get to uh, celebrate Memorial Day. Uh, you know, we're going to look at a message this morning um, that uh, is labeled the Great Commission. And it's, it's important to note that these words were spoken to the disciples after Jesus had died and come back to life. This was their hero coming back and then speaking these words into their lives before he ascended uh, on a, on a longer-term basis. And we're going to uh, look at this. And it's, this week was seeing uh, an article that talked about churchgoers in the U.S. Uh, and how familiar they are with the Great Commission. And apparently 51% of churchgoers have not ever heard of the Great Commission and you may find yourself in that category. This was a survey of about 2,000 churchgoers in 2017. 51% have never heard of the Great Commission. And of those who have heard of it, only 17% can tell you what it means, what it is, and be able to verbalize it. And so for those of you in the room that find yourself in that 17%, before you get too puffed up, <laughs> we are going to, this morning, look at the Great Commission, not only in what you could probably recite, which is most likely out of Matthew chapter 28, 
We're going to look at the Great Commission in all four of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. And so we're going to read them in entirety, each of those five accounts of the Great Commission. So there's going to be a fair amount of scripture reading here this morning. Hope you're okay with that in church. And uh, we're going to kind of learn about the Great Commission in its entirety. So let's start with that version that most people are familiar with, Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And before we get into the details of what Jesus commissioned them to do, it's important for us to notice what kind of people they were. They are described here as doubters. It says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus commissioned those who doubted him. And, and it's really a great place for us to start. And at least for me, it's encouraging to know that Jesus is commissioning imperfect people here. Right? This isn't to those who have finally got everything down, getting everything right, know everything they're supposed to know, doing all the things they're supposed to do, and then he's commissioning them. They're still struggling. They're still getting things wrong. And then we get to the details about what he tells them to go do. So we see the, the verse 19 says, go therefore, which by the way isn't a single command to go one time. It's as you go, these are the things I want you to do. In other parts of the Bible, it might be described as in everything you do. And so this is a, a permanent, as I'm going, as I'm living my life, as I'm getting out there in front of people, these are the things that we should do. Make disciples. And Jesus' uh, example of what that looked like on earth was a little different to sometimes how we perceive it. So there weren't many classrooms involved in Jesus' discipleship making. It was very much a learn by doing kind of discipleship. There was some teaching, obviously, but there was a lot of times where Jesus said, come with me, let's go do this together. And at the right time, I'm going to send you to go and do some of the things that you've seen me doing, to go and proclaim the kingdom, to go and pray over people. There's one story, he sends them ahead of him, and they go into a place to uh, pray over the sick as they've been commanded to do and there's a demon-possessed man and they command the demon out of the man and the demon does not come out and they have to go back to Jesus and say what you told us to do didn't happen and so Jesus has to show him how it's done and he casts that demon out and that man is set free but it's a moment where his discipleship is shown that they're still not going to get everything right even when they've seen Jesus do it, and when they have been told by Jesus to go and do it, that they still don't get everything right. And he chastises them for having little faith. And, and so they're getting, you know, 
not just the encouragement and the sending of Jesus, but they, they're getting admonished by him too. And Jesus' discipleship making was one where they had to kind of get themselves into uncomfortable positions and just try and do what he had told them to do and, and taught them to do. Another part of this uh, doing that we see in here is, is baptizing. He tells them in, the, in this passage to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we, we uh, know if you've been baptized, you, you will be with me in, in this, this confession that it is a special moment. When you make that public confession of faith and get baptized, there's something significant about it. There's something powerful. It, you know, it's a very special moment as kind of a landmark in your journey. But there's something that you might not know if you've never baptized somebody, not being the one being baptized, but the baptizer, <laughs> that that is also a very special moment. Like there's something like about being in that moment with that believer when you baptize them, that it's, it's a landmark for you. Also, it's a special moment for you also. If I ever see a dad baptize his son, I will definitely cry. Because it's, it's like there's something special about this, this moment. And by the way, when I get the opportunity, hopefully in the near future, to baptize my son, I will be a puddle. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But, um, you know, the, this, this doing that, that Jesus commissions us to do, to go and baptize, is, is a very like, special thing that we get to participate in the journey that somebody is walking with God. And if you haven't baptized somebody, I just encourage you next time we have a baptism here behind me, just watch the face of the person that's baptizing somebody. You'll see there's, there's something amazing about living out that command, not only to be baptized, but to, to baptize believers. And then it says uh, to, to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And uh, Derek told a story a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday that, you know, in his seminary class, uh, they were talking about the Great Commission, and, uh, and the professor asked, is anyone here uh, able to tell me the Great Commission? And you know, Pastor Derek, he wanted to be the first one to get the answer right. He is an achiever, he calls himself. He calls himself an achiever. And... Uh, and so he goes, and I know this, I've got this down, and he tells the story that he, you know, he, he just spoke it out of memory. It says, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And he was corrected that day. It does not say teaching them all that I have commanded you. It's teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, which means to teach them to hold fast to the things. Teach them to put it into practice. Teach them to value it as guidance for how they will live their life out. And, and it's not surprising that Jesus would say it like this. You know, the, the whole time he was doing his ministry on earth, he would talk about the Pharisees as being all puffed up with knowledge and that knowledge is not the most important thing. And it, it doesn't lead you into living a life that is pleasing to God to just know things. So it would not make sense for this passage to say, telling people about the teaching of Jesus, but encouraging people how to understand it and to live that out in their life, 
how to observe that teaching and apply it to every day in our life. And, you know, Matthew 28, Great Commission, is probably uh, the, the passage that those of you in the room that were excited to be able to say you were in that 17% would be able to quote to me. You'd probably be able to use that passage as the primary example for Jesus' Great Commission. But there are four other places that it talks about it, and we're going to look at the next one here in the book of Mark. Okay, so Mark chapter 16, uh, we're going to start at verse 14. It said, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Uh, So we already have them being those who are doubters, and now we have them described as being hard of heart. In, in other words, they were stubborn. They were stubborn disciples. They were hard of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Kind of similar to what we hear in Matthew But then check this, verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay. Part of the Great Commission. So we've got Matthew's doing, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to teach people to observe everything I have taught. You need to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we get Mark stirring things up and telling us that there's also some, something supernatural connected to the Great Commission. And, and I want to talk about this for a little bit because, you know, on one hand, you have people... Uh, who are believers that are in a place of um, misunderstanding of the Scriptures in that I can claim healing over you right now and it's going to happen when I decide it's going to happen and command it, right? And you've got this, this arm of Christianity which misbelieves the Scriptures misunderstands the scriptures, and it can and has left people who did not receive healing feeling like there's something wrong with them. Like, is it, I didn't have enough faith, did I do something to upset God? What, what is the, re- I don't know why, but you're saying that you can, and, and I just, I'm no different, nothing's changed. And, and we can be a little bit in danger when you look at people that, that kind of have this misbelief and this, this misunderstanding about their role in healing, that it's more about them almost, that we go to the other extreme and are disobedient to what the Scripture says, which is to pray for the sick, to pray for healing for people. And you know, I don't know that that's a better extreme than the people who, who understand this other crazy extreme, that I can command it, to be on the other side of this and, 
being disobedient with my life to pray for those who need a supernatural healing or need a supernatural move of God. And, you know, we know that we are, we're not called to, to be the one that brings that healing. That is God's work and, and His timing. But are we being obedient to the part that we are called to play? The book of, uh, of Mark, um, this actual part of it, is, uh, is not in every manuscript. Okay, I wanted to share that with you this morning. And some people read this and say, you know what? It's not in every manuscript. I don't know how reliable it is, so I'm just going to disregard it completely. And we're just going to kind of forget that ever happened, <laughs> that Mark ever, ever wrote those words. But I want to share with you a couple of other places that are in every manuscript that is also talked about it. One is in the book of Mark. And it says this in chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that he has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And there's this like one statement. I mean, we're not going to get to really focus on this part that says there was something that Jesus couldn't do. We don't have time to focus on that today. But the scripture says it. He could not do great things there. But we are going to focus on this response that the people had. And is the question, is this not the carpenter? Like, they wasn't wrong about that. You know, he was a carpenter. He was the brother of these snotty-nosed kids that they remember growing up in the town. But they've limited him to that. He wasn't only their relative. He wasn't only a carpenter. He was so much more than that. And that was the part of Jesus that they, they didn't recognize, that they didn't, they didn't take note of, that they didn't believe in. And it makes me ask myself the question, you know, is my understanding of who God is and what he can do and what he wants to do, has it been limited? I've, I've, have I put a limit on my view and understanding of who God is and what he can do? And, um, you know, we, uh, we have to be sure, you know, that we, we don't put ourselves really on either of these extremes, you know, because we are not called to command how and when a miracle will take place. But we are called to pray that it does. And some of us are in a place where we, if we're really honest, don't believe that God can or might do it. We've convinced ourselves that it's probably not going to happen, so what's the point in praying? And that is disobedience to the Great Commission. 
The book of James talks about this too in chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And and I have never experienced a church like City on a Hill who has created a safe culture like we have to confess our sins to one another and have a safe place to find healing through the process of talking those things through. And that's part of this. It tells us here that, you know, that there is healing that comes through confession. But it also tells us here that we should pray for one another and that there was great power in those prayers. You know, this is it's hard for me to even get my mind around. You know, my pastor that I grew up with in the church uh, back in England uh, would every Sunday have a time for people to be prayed over and they would be airing probably more on the other extreme of commanding that to happen. And probably not at the furthest extreme, um, but probably a little bit more wild than some of you would uh, be comfortable with. And than I was comfortable with, to be quite frank. And Yet, my pastor died of terminal cancer, and healing did not come to him when they prayed it and commanded it and believed that it would happen. And it caused conflict in the people in the church. There was a uh, pastor, uh, sorry, an elder in the uh, church I attended in San Antonio before we moved here to Fort Worth. That, uh, that had terminal cancer also, and, and they displayed his testimony via video in one service, and what he said that day will never leave me. And he said, I am 100% convinced that I am going to be healed. I know that I am going to be healed. Either God is going to take this cancer from my body, or he is going to take me from this cancer. And it's like, okay, that just like totally got to me because of my pastor back home, you know, and how that had all gone down and the, the feelings that, that was involved with, in my heart with that whole story and the way that it went, went down. But also the humility that he had to, I 100% have faith and belief that God's promise will come true in my life, that I will be healed. It may be on this earth, it may be in eternity, on the other side of eternity. And, and, and for us, we don't know. We don't know how God is going to choose to heal somebody, if he's going to heal them on this earth, if it's just going to be this brand new body that is talked about in heaven, that we're going to have this great you know, perfection that is waiting for all of us, or if it will happen on this earth. And really, that's not actually our concern. It's not for us to try and even decide. It's just obedient to pray, God, if it's your will, would you heal this person? 
Would you bring healing? And, and if he does, that person's testimony is going to be powerful. And, and it can lead people to believe in a supernatural God that can do amazing things. And, and it's, it's an important part of the Great Commission that, that we can be in danger of just quenching and just brushing aside. The book of Luke um, takes a, a little bit of a different approach, okay? And we're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 46 to 49. As they were talking, we're going to start in verse 36. If you'll give me the, the time to read that many verses. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and took it and ate before them. That sounds my kind of uh, story right there. <laughs> then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Luke emphasizes this part of Jesus' commission that is about proclaiming forgiveness. Proclaiming forgiveness. So, so Matthew has written about the doing, what we are to go and teach people to observe and to baptize, to make disciples. We see Mark focusing on the supernatural power of God as we go out and are obedient to this commission. And then we come here to Luke and he is reminding us uh, of these words that Jesus spoke that we should proclaim forgiveness to tell people that they are loved, that God forgives them, that there is hope for them. And it's hard for us to do that when we maybe like the disciples have this constant doubt about that for ourselves. You know, and, and as believers that there are times where we find it hard to believe that we're forgiven, to accept his forgiveness, and to live in it, to, to be free of the shame of the things that we have done to wrong others. And it, it's almost the first place for us in the Great Commission when it comes to proclaiming forgiveness is we have to live it. Like we have to accept in our hearts now, there is nothing that you can do that is too big for God to forgive. And, and I must have to tell myself these things. I do not deserve God's love, but I am loved. I don't deserve his forgiveness, but I am forgiven. I don't deserve to be used by God, 
but he chooses to use me. And, and, and as I remind myself of these things on a, on a regular basis, it, it helps to cast off the doubt. <laughs> and I remember the day that I committed my life to following Jesus, that I, I was conflicted emotionally. There was this, this part of me that just had so much regret. Like, I was just, I was so sorry for the things I had done, for the, for the way I had lived my life, because I believed God's existence. I knew he was there, but I just pursued my own way and hurt a lot of people. And to accept his forgiveness was hard because I had so much sorrow and so much regret for the way I had lived my life, but at the same time, I knew it was real, which kind of made it worse. You know, but like to, to accept that I know I don't deserve this. I have screwed up. I have messed up. I have made these choices intentionally to live like that. Knowing who you are, I still chose to live like that. But you forgive me. And your grace, it covers me. And, and if, I can, if I can get myself into a place of, of really believing that, I mean, it changes me. It makes me want to do better. <laughs> But at the same time, it, it's the starting point for how I proclaim forgiveness to others because I know that the people that I've been commissioned to proclaim God's forgiveness to are broken, have done unspeakable things, have hurt people, have their own regrets about the choices that they've made in their life. And so to be able to look them in the eye and say, you know what, you don't deserve God's forgiveness, but you are forgiven. And, and you don't deserve his love, but you are loved so much that he would send his son to die on the cross the way that he did. That you don't deserve to be given a life full of purpose and to be living in God's will, but he chooses that for you. I can proclaim his forgiveness in a much more honest way when I have really embraced it for my own life. And, and, and to not tell someone, oh, you know, you, you deserve it, you know, you, you earned it, you know, there's something different and special and unique about you that you get to go to heaven. It's not. It's, it's all God and what he did. And, and Luke calls us and reminds us that that is a part of the Great Commission, to proclaim his forgiveness. And then we get to the book of John, and John talks about this in a way that in some ways kind of touches on what Matthew and Mark and Luke have all already said. So look at chapter 20, verse 19 onwards. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You know, 
recognizing the fact that Jesus commissioned fearful, afraid people is a comfort to me. <laughs> the same as the way that he commissioned them when they had doubt, that they, they was afraid. Yet he comes to them and he commissions them. And John has kind of, you know, touched on the sending component of Matthew here when he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's touching on the supernatural component of Mark as he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he's touching on the forgiveness component of Mark. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But there's another part of John's gospel that is so important for us to recognize, and, and that is that none of these things are possible without the Holy Spirit. Like, we can't do anything good without God in us, without God doing it through us. And, you know, people get a little, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but they like to look at the stories of the disciples and the things that they did and say, well, yeah, they had Jesus there. They got to see him and listen to him and, and hear his words and see him in action, you know, and and they got to be with Jesus, the actual living human version of Jesus. And, and, and it's kind of crazy because they would probably look at you and say, yeah, but you get him in you. I had him next to me. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And we had him in us after he left. But all of that training took place without the Holy Spirit in us. You know, we just had this flesh example of it, and, and we are in a unique place in history that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. He's not just with us, He's in us, so anything that we obediently do, the results are not on us, <laughs> because now it's up to the Holy Spirit. We are just called to be obedient, to do our best, and it's totally okay when we do our best and it doesn't go how we think it should, <laughs> or if we fail, or if we see a way that we could improve on how we said something, or be a little bit more gentle with how we share forgiveness with somebody. It's totally fine to not get everything right. The disciples certainly did not get everything right. And we have to know that we can't do this at all without the Holy Spirit. We lean on Him for the results. And Acts 1 verse 6 to 8 is the last place in the Bible we see this commission. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we can say this this way, you are not God, but God is in you. He tells them, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons. You are not all-knowing. You are not God, but God is in you. I'm sending him to be in you. And, and it's, it's a, it helps us to, to be humble to be able to do our part and trust God with, with his part, to do, to do the healing, to do the miracle 
I, I really honestly believe the greatest miracle you'll ever see is somebody come to Christ. Because that is nothing that you could have done. We were only obedient to do the telling, to, you know, to be the befriending, to love them. But God is the one who saves them. It's not on us to save people. Um, we have a, an opportunity uh, here for, for all of you to be a, a part of something uh, that is probably going to go down in, in history in the U.S. as uh, is currently the biggest campaign uh, that there ever has been to get the name of Jesus into the homes and the lives and the ears of people in our own neighborhood. And uh, you want an opportunity to live out the Great Commission, I'm going to give you one this morning, okay? So uh, there is a, a lot of people uh, in our neighborhoods, right here by the church and, and all around our surrounding cities, uh, on a weekly basis, are reaching out to us via text messages, uh, sharing some of the things going on in their life, and letting us know, I need help. And it's our job as a church to respond to that. So how that's happening? Um, radio ads, social media ads, TV advertisements, over $100 million has been invested into this campaign to let people know that Jesus gets us and giving them an opportunity to respond via a message which ultimately comes to local churches and we're one of those local churches. Um, this campaign called He Gets Us uh, is airing all over the place. You might see it on billboards. You may see it on TV. In fact, we're going to show you one of the ads right now. A girl got pregnant. She was scared. Her parents thought her boyfriend was the father, but the baby wasn't his. He loved her, so he offered to raise the child with her. One evening, her water broke. There wasn't time to get help. He delivered the child and lay him in a manger. You uh, keep your eyes open. You're going to see a lot of these over the coming weeks. Jesus experienced anxiety. He gets us. That Jesus was betrayed by a friend. He gets us. That Jesus was wrongly judged. He gets us. And, and as people connect their stories and their pain with the person of Jesus, there's this opportunity for them to uh, connect with a local church. And what we are asking is for people to be a responder to these neighbors that uh, the campaign calls explorers, people who reach out and are looking for help um, in, in a simple way, that you would be a part of the team that we will, um, next Sunday, we will host a uh, training for 45 minutes right after the second service at 12 o'clock until about 12.45. We'll meet right here in this room outside these doors in A105. And we will uh, kind of just share with you how you could respond to somebody who is saying, I am feeling lonely. I need someone to talk to. I'm, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling 
anxious in my life, and, and some share a lot of details and, and others not so many details. But we need the body of Christ that's sitting on a hill to say, yeah, I will, I will call someone. And, and we wouldn't try to not overwhelm anybody, maybe just one person a week that you would call them, listen to them. You don't have to be a professional counselor to use your ears and to just hear their story, to invite them to come and, and be a part of what you do at City on a Hill, to sit with you in a second service, uh, or, or, or to be a part of your small group that you you're, go to on a regular basis. Um, maybe uh, they need to be connected to a freedom group that's going to help them in a more specific way, and we will help you with that. We will help you know what's happening, what's the best place to connect them to, but really they just need a friend that can, that can be there, be that point of contact, that can know when they've been missing for a couple of weeks and call them and text them and, and just be a friend to them that is not only uh, there to, to share God's forgiveness, to teach them to observe the teachings of God, but to love them, you know, and to, to be that person that, that responds to their already asking for help. And um, it's an amazing opportunity. And um, you can sign up if you want to come. I'd love to know. We'll, we'll get, I know it's close to lunchtime, so we'll, we'll get some food and so we can enjoy that together. Hey, it was scriptural, right? You saw it in Jesus. And, um, and so just let me know. You can sign up on the Church Center app and, uh, and, or just come here and tell me that you're going to come and we'll get you signed up. But... Um, when we listen to these different angles or aspects or gospels of the Great Commission, I wanted to leave you with this question today. You know, what aspect of the Great Commission do you need to be more obedient to? Perhaps it's teaching others to observe the teachings of Jesus and to live that out in their life. Fathers, it's, it's praying for the supernatural and believing that, that God will take control of his part. For others, it may be sharing about God's forgiveness with people and having those hard conversations that, that sometimes need to happen. And um, you know, my prayer today is that the, the Holy Spirit will reveal uh, where you can take that, that bold step uh, in, in the Great Commission in your life, but know the Holy Spirit is with you. He will help you. He'll give you the words. He will give you the courage. He will guide you as you step out and are obedient to what he has called us to do and, and how he's called us to live. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we get to see these examples in the scripture of disciples that were commissioned by you that were not perfect, that had doubts, they had fears, that they tried to do what you called them to do and didn't always get it right. Thank you that you love us so much that you choose to use us. And I pray for every person in this room that as we step out and are obedient to, to live how you've called us to live, that we would see evidence of your Holy Spirit doing great things through us and that we will give you all the glory. I pray for those in our city that are hurting, that are reaching out and calling out and crying out for help. God, help us to respond to them in a way that you would respond to them. 
Help us to love them, to have patience, to make sacrifices, to be able to uh, point them to you, that they can experience help and hope and healing that comes from you. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys, I hope you have a great day tomorrow. Whatever your plans are, we will see you all next week.